Hello, friends. Welcome to our first episode of Spirit Actually, where we are sharing stories about how we cannot deny, dismiss, or refute moments when we realize Spirit is guiding us. Spirit Actually is guiding us. And my first amazing guest today is my dear friend, Ginny Barrett. She is one of the most joyful, playful, alive people I have ever met. She is an angel in my life. She has moved through so many lenses of looking at at spirit and experiencing spirit. I want to share Ginny with the world, with all of you (laughs) right now. (laughs) She was the first person that came to my mind when I thought of this concept of spirit actually. And so without further ado, Ginny, hello, darling. Hello. (laughs) So great to be here. So great to be here. And we just offered up this whole little recording to Spirit, actually, just now. And Ginny, you were talking with me about, so there's like the mental application of working with Spirit and knowing Spirit, and then there's the embodiment piece. And I want, and I was hoping you could share a little bit more about what that really looks like. Well, well. <laughs> um, Ash asked me, how did I become aware of spirit and how did I uh, begin to explore and expand my awareness of spirit? So as I thought about this, um, there's really two parts for me. And the beginning of it was being taught about, uh, quotes, God, universe, spirit, superpower, whatever. And back in those days, it was God. And, and all the different methodologies and dogmas and ways of looking at God, to me, was a mental experience. It's like reading, being told, going to classes, maybe it's... Uh, church school, um, Sunday school teaching as a kid, but growing up into other venues also of uh, looking at God and what it means to us. And then there's the embodied part of it where I began to feel spirit within me. And of course, feeling spirit within me was a trickle in the beginning. Um, It's not that I never felt spirit before, but to know that I can actually work with spirit in an embodied way became, came much later in my life. So let's start with the first experience that you shared. I think it's really great. I, I would love hearing about young Ginny <laughs> <laughs> and what she first experienced with, with spirit. Grew up Methodist and with a very strict uh, routine of going to church every Sunday uh, Sunday school uh, when we were young, different varying classes, you know, through the ages, um, and sometimes being part of the big sanctuary. Wow, it was it was uh, kind of eye opening to be in the regular service for everyone. But um, so there was that side, and then on my mother's side was uh, uh, my mom's mom was kind of a, a metaphysical student. She liked metaphysics. She liked uh, energy, and she was just a woman way ahead of her time. In fact, this is she your was grandma. Even my grandmother, 
uh, maternal grandmother, she was a masseuse in, in the 1940s. I mean, mm. way ahead of her time, right? So, I mean, she was into supp- <laughs> supplements, food supplements, and uh, energy, and color therapy, and I mean, wow. just all that. That's what she was into. So, in her generation and her kids' generation, she was considered a kook. But in my generation, as a granddaughter, we learned unconditional positive love, unconditional positive regard from my grandmother because her hugs just enveloped us with such love. And we all felt it. And, we, and my sisters and brothers, we talk about this, about her hugs and, and feeling that. But anyway, so I had these two things going on in my life. Well, my very first experience really from my maternal grandmother and by the way this is just a side note but I think it's hysterical her maiden name was Hicks and her first name was Esther so her (laughs) name is Esther Hicks (laughs) I know I mean it doesn't get you much but it it is rather enlightening but anyway so she took me for my first reading and I think I was seventh grade maybe when you and say reading, you mean like a, tarot, a psychic reading? A psychic reading, okay. Um, no, I don't think she was using any cards. Okay. I think um, she was just, it wasn't psychometry because I did that later on, but um, I'm not even sure. But then there was this guided meditation part. And I sat quiet, Jamie closed my eyes, and, and it was like we were a guided meditation, I guess. I don't know. There was this quiet part. And in my mind's eye, I, it was like I, I felt myself in the lap of Jesus, like a, like a child sitting on Jesus's lap. And mm. I remember thinking and feeling, wow, this is so different. And so uh, when that was done, it, it, it moved me. I remember being moved. And having all kinds of questions and wanting to talk to my grandmother about it. And I'm sure that I did, but I don't remember the the outcome of conversations with her. But one of the things that she taught me was that our physical body is the temple for our soul. Mm. I, so I got to at least know that on a cognitive level. When you were young. On. Wow. Yeah. So when it came time in the in in um, in the Methodist you know, training, it's not catechism, but, but, you know, spiritual classes, you know, I was able to bring that up within our classes. And I remember our Reverend Banks saying that how wonderful that was to see our body that way. And of course, now that was an ego response because it was like, <laughs> yeah, that was me. <laughs> but, you know, so that was my earliest probably experience so would you say your grandma gave you your first kind of experience of mysticism? Yes. Yes. And then she turned on to other people who were in the community doing various things, and they would take classes from this person or that person. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It, was, um, it felt good to know that there was something beyond this, the, the methodology. The mental of, aspect. Of, yeah, Methodist. You know, that structured... Um, reading the Bible, studying, talking about Jesus and God and, and all that. And, and of course, but we didn't really talk about that in a home. 
Mm. It was only at church, which I think is probably pretty common, um, that, you know, that's that sense of talking about Christ or anything. It wasn't really done at home. At home, you had chores and you had, <laughs> things you know, to do. Things to do and family <laughs> life and all of that to, to negotiate. Uh, and school, of course. And so, uh, but that went on for a lot of times. And of course, I knew my grandmother, Esther Hicks, was just a, you know, she was out there, but we loved her. But you loved her. But I loved her. She was out there and I loved her. And by the time I got into college, I had come home from school on summer break or something. And she came and took me out to lunch one day. And we were talking and she started talking about this sort of inner knowing, like the way that her kids, my mom and and three other siblings, they talked with each other in a way that they could finish each other's sentences without saying a word. Mm. It's like they had this ability to relate to each other in a way that did not need words. And my grandmother informed me that when my mom married my dad, now my dad from the Methodist world, he was bound and determined to teach my mother to speak in full sentences. Oh, wow. Because he couldn't talk that language. Interesting. You know? So now I'm aware that, okay, there's this inner communication that can happen between people. What's the dynamic of that? And my dad doesn't have it, my mom does. Mm. So what's that? You know, basically, childhood raised a lot of questions for me. And I think that's probably common for everybody. Yeah. You know, what's this, what's that? And, and But I began in high school. I had this friend, Terry Redden and I. We would go around on Sundays to different churches because I was really curious. And she was curious. You know, I don't remember what um, church she was a part of. We had a lot of churches where I grew up. And um, we wanted to see different ways people practiced whatever they believed. And so we went around to different churches. And wow, did my eyes were so opened about how different you know, Baptist, Catholic, um, you know, just all kinds of stuff it was different from what I had known, mm-hmm. you know. And then, again, raising just more questions, but I became more versed in Jesus. Yeah, I mean, just stories through the Bible mm. and what they meant. And, and I was beginning to branch off into other beliefs, of it, you know, questioning where in that set of rules and guidance did not fit the other parts of the world. Mm. You know, so like, you know, the whole gay thing, you know, yeah. within church and how hard that is for people to make that shift. And and yet I ended up, my youngest brother is gay. And, and my aunt, my mom's sister, was is lesbian and or was. And it's like, and we just loved them. I mean, they were just no different than we were. They just had yeah. a different way of experiencing their life and and so when I started hearing criticism from other people that were within the church it was like that's not the God I think of mm-hmm. so my framework about what God was or or is as certainly shifted one more story my aunt who was who became lesbian or came out I should say um got me to participate in a group in Michigan called the Michigan Path. And it was a spiritual psychological growth group. And, and how old were you then? 
I was probably in my early 30s at that point. Okay. All right. Um, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but spiritual and psychological was an interesting combination. And so when I joined and the, the, all the newbies were taken off into a room and we were asked the question, what was our concept of God? I was fascinated with how many varied ideas of God there were in the room. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was, you know, the, the, the revengeful God, the uh, disciplined God, the fire and brimstone God, the grandfatherly loving type God. There was, you know... So many different versions. So many different versions of God. And, and then, of course, that's kind of what they were trying to work out. Um, I didn't stay with a group for, you know, reasons that don't participate, uh, don't mean anything here. But it was interesting that my mind about God was, you know, becoming more aware of other people's beliefs and how it affected their life. Yeah. That was interesting. Absolutely. It's funny, as a kid, I had a a similar realization. I was like, I think I was 10. And I, I thought to myself, you know what, it seems that everyone has their own experiences of God. So God must be something that each person creates for themselves. And I I remember being like 10 and thinking this thought. And I was just like, oh yeah, your God is different than my God because we're just two different people. (laughs) Like I just had this this feeling. How awesome is that? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, um, opening up, expanding to other things, uh, it also got me very curious about some of the other religions. I heard of Buddhism, you know, I heard of Hinduism, and I heard of other things outside um, of the sort of the, the, the big overlapping Christian faith um, and paganism. And uh, it's like I got curious about how people saw themselves in the world with respect to purpose and purpose basically yeah purpose purpose i wanted to ask you a big thing that i have learned from Ginny. she has a really beautiful way of talking about nudges from spirit and you mentioned a nudge to me in our last conversation about when you picked up a book about paganism would you would you call that one of your first nudge experiences or no? I wouldn't call that particular thing. I, I, I call it a nudge having even gone and gotten the book. That was <laughs> Perfect. the nudge. Okay. okay. But what I learned inside that book about, wait a minute. It was like when paganism and when, when Christianity was coming up on the screen and then witnessing it's all about control. It's like who has control of the people? And there was this you know, this feminine um, leadership, if you will, in paganism and a very sensual in the terms of senses um, and internal empathy and storytelling and all of that, living your word life with respect to what you felt inside as opposed to the whole control of Christianity that this has to be this. And and the control... I what I was reading in uh, the Christian world was really not control against, well, in, in part, it was against the paganism 
end of things, but it was all more in, in control with government. Who had control of the people, the government or religion? Mm. And, it, and, and that was all patriarchal, patriarchally run. Yes. Right? Yeah, so that was... So that was, would you say that was like your first kind of like real crystallization of like, so there's God and there's things that I learn in the church and then there's the controlling systems behind church. Right, the controlling system behind church. So yes, that was very crystallizing for me and it set me on this path where I got angry. Mm. I, I, I pushed against, because that's really what angry is, it's like pushing against something. I pushed against that whole mindset that control is only allotted for those who know. Mm -hmm. And that only those who know, and, and then I realized, oh, it's just if you get into that circle, you can become one who knows. Mm. But you got to get into the circle. And that circle didn't include women. Mm. And here I am in this life in a female body. And it's like, oh. Oh, that was a lot to push against. <laughs> yes. I mean, that in itself is that so in huge. Itself. Yeah, right. and how old were you then when you had this kind of like crystallization I... and the anger kind of <laughs> That in? was in my early 30s. So from there... Um... You were married at that point as no, well? I no, I was not married. Not married at that uh -uh. point. I hadn't even gone to North Carolina yet. So that was here uh, in my early working years. And... At that point, I was working in computers uh, as a, a programmer and, and then up to a senior systems analyst, but all mental stuff. Very know, mental. Very mental. Okay. Now, I worked in that field for 15 years, and 10 of those I didn't want to be there. <laughs> I knew there was something else out there, that, and this wasn't it. Interesting. So I was searching. Uh, you know, uh, that we all go through that phase. All right, so you ended up then leaving your computer I left, well, job. yes, I left my computer. After being transferred to the South, I left corporate life because there, that was a, it was a huge nudge. This is not it. There's something better. And I ended up with this... I began to be curious about intuition. What is intuition? Because in my household, feminine intuition was really frowned upon by my father. Hmm. And, and which only made me be more curious. <laughs> exactly. About it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so good job. <laughs> and uh, so um, I ended up leaving there and based on a very clean, uh, serendipitous episode of getting a tarot card reading and she told me I'm in the wrong field and I said no joke and <laughs> she said I said what should I be doing and she said well you should be in the health you could be in the health and wellness field in fact you could probably be a massage therapist and I went my grandmother was a masseuse <gasps> of course I okay. could do that okay. and the whole feeling within me was like taking a breath <gasps> oh wow I could do that what if I could do that and that's what I started entertaining. So uh, when I got home from that trip, that was in Salem, Massachusetts, no less, <laughs> where I had that little epiphany and card reading. Um, uh, I came back to uh, Durham, North Carolina, and I, I put out feelers for a massage therapy school. And I ended up landing in one that was set out in the, in the uh, 
Woods in Alamance County. And I ended up getting accepted there. And very, very serendipitous things that happened to even arrive. I didn't have the money. I had a great friend who I'd only met just weeks before because I joined Sweet Adeline's I, I was singer. Singing. Uh, singing. And we went to dinner. And I didn't have the down payment for this. And I thought, well, maybe they'll work with me for this massage school. And she says to me, well, I'll lend you the money. It was $900. Mm. And she said, I'll lend you the money. And I went, what? I didn't even know her, but maybe two weeks. Wow. And she said, I don't normally carry this amount of money in my checking account, but I have it and I can write you a check now. And I went, what? (laughs) And I'm like blown away by this little, you know. It wasn't little. It was like a miracle. It was like. And I ended up being the 20th person out of 20 in that class. The last Uh, one to be accepted into that class. And that class changed my life. Mm. You know, it was a class in the in a yurt that was awesome out in the a woods. class I mean, in a yurt. Yes, yes right. <laughs> a wood burning stove, and I was a camper at heart anyway. And so I went off to school, and 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 it was mind blowing. And of course, I'm one of the older ones that are there, but that's okay. I mean, I'm in my. This was 1992 that I went to massage school, so. It, that's when I started learning about spirituality on a more expanded level and not just through uh, a, a, a finite set of rules and ways to live through being Methodist. So, um, instead Can you share work, a little bit more about how in that school you had experiences your your knowledge expanded because that was when you started working with the body right started working with the body yeah as a here's this temple not something that's over there hands off kind of thing but a working temple and and beginning to touch in with this body and I remember being fascinated by it and you know uh you know I'm an overweight person so learning to be with my body was mind blowing, mm. you know. So yes, this this whole living thing that mm-hmm. my soul is housed in is is like, well, what does that mean, you know? <laughs> but anyway, it was through the school and back to uh, the whole idea about intuition. Mm-hmm. I wrote my final paper on intuition for this this year's class. We had to write papers and and um, as an example of. A nudge. I, I learned that to me, intuition at that time was was the nudges that came. Like, how many times have if you've ever, you know, were driving down the road and something told you to slow down, and you get around the corner and there's either a cop or a group of deer in the road or <laughs> whatever. But something told you to slow down, and and you did. And I thought, how many nudges do I get? You know, I don't <laughs> even know. I'm not aware enough to do that. So I made a vow. Oh, this is while I was in school. I used to come and, and spend the week camp out on the weekend because that's when I attended because I still had a full-time job. And um, there were a group of us that camped. And one of the first nudges I remember having is as I was packing for the weekend, something inside said, take Band-Aids. And I went, 
I'm going to honor this. <laughs> I don't know why. And I threw Band-Aids in my backpack and, and went off to the weekend. And sure enough, during that weekend, I was barefoot, stepped on a rock, cut my foot. And guess what? I had <laughs> <The> Band-Aids. <laughs> you know? Yes. And so when I had that experience, I wanted to test it more. So mm. I started acting on whatever little nut, if I could be aware of it. That's funny. I, I used to call them before, before I heard you and your explanation of nudges, which was like so amazing for me. I used to call them major minor miracles. I was like, oh, like, <laughs> oh, it, it feels so minor, but like it feels so major and it feels like a miracle. And so I was like, <laughs> yes, absolutely. It does feel like that. So as, a, as I was talking with, actually the woman... And who gave me the, lent me the money to go to school, ended up becoming uh, a very dear friend. Mm -hmm. And then she became a student at the same school. Amazing. She was one of my students at one point. But we went, she had a cabin out on um, the Outer Banks. And so we went there one weekend and we were talking about nudges and intuition hits and following them and whatnot. And she was very, got really curious. So on our way back, from the cabin that Sunday evening, we stopped at a place to get gas. And she says to me, I had a nudge to stop here. Normally I would have stopped maybe 30 minutes, you know, beyond where we're stopping now, but something told me to get gas now. So we got gas, not knowing the future. <laughs> and as we got to her usual stop, it was pouring rain. At the where it was, and I just thought that was cool. Here she is now having her own nudge experience. Yes, and yeah, one of the things I learned at Body Therapy Institute was the name of the massage school no longer exists right now, but was that we started to learn about unconditional positive regard on the first day of school. Mm. And it was part of the curriculum to include that in everything that we did right through the end of graduation. Beautiful. The other thing that I learned was to, from the teacher's end aspect, was to hold a loving, energetic net under every one of our students that they get the experience they needed or, well, needed mm. that was beneficial to them. And sometimes that experience didn't come until graduation day. It was a beautiful thing, but it was, it was wonderful. As a result of learning about unconditional positive regard, we began to hold in our energy that the person laying on the table was number one, in a vulnerable position because they're laying horizontal. Number two, they don't have anything on or very little on underneath the sheet which also puts them in a vulnerable position, and that the person giving the massage is in the power position, and it is up to them to learn and use right use of power. Mm. So that meant in the energetic container, learning to set up an energetic container through which you give your massage, and that was unconditional positive regard. So this is all not just mental. This is a felt experience. So having had that and then launching into the world, 
coming up here to be, uh, I would, came up to get married, actually, but it took us six years to finally get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my mind was so expanded at that point. And um, the whole idea of law of attraction and with respect to um, the schools and, and men fully believed and worked from that place of law of attraction, being in alignment, putting out ideas, desires of what you want uh, for yourself, for our group. Um, when we moved the school from one uh, county to another county on 150 acres this time, and um, at that time I was working with the administration, so four of us stood in the field before anything was built and held hands and set the intention for the land. We collectively blessed the land. We set out the desires for this land and how it could help people and um, and literally raised the energy of the whole place. And it was wonderful. I loved it. And you could feel it. Could feel it. Yeah. So, so would you say that your massage school then, the whole encompassing experience, that, that was like your first deeper dive into embodiment? Yes, it, there was the embodiment part of it, but that was still also stuck in the mental. Mm. I mean, I was beginning to feel. And, and was sense energy. about sensing energy. Yes. Curious about yes. sensing energy. Okay. So after we moved to this new area, and I was fascinated with that energy, I then went off into study polarity therapy as an energy modality and method. And uh, then bringing that sensitivity back into working deep tissue because you just don't want to dive into work with deep tissue without sensing what's going on because if the body is already hurting and setting up its resistance if you just dive in without being conscious of what's going on energetically underneath you you can just blow past you know boundaries you can and hurt people. you can hurt people yeah it's discompassionate oh. for sure uh, yeah, so that, yeah, so um, I got to teach that part of beginning to sense what's under your hands, mm. holding that person in an unconditional positive regard within you. That means you're feeling that person in that place within you. Yeah, it's, to me, when you're just describing it, it just seems like, oh, it's just an actionable practice of compassion. Right. That's right. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Yeah. It is. You know? But if you've never done it before, how right. would you even know right. to do it? But that's the vast difference, it feels like, between the mental methodology that so many of us get in kind of more ritualized religious institutions versus this is the feeling practice of it. You know? The whole embodiment, and I learned the essence of embodiment. I had a, one client in particular as a massage therapist when I asked them to point their toe towards the opposite wall, they couldn't do it. There was no connection between mm. the desire to do it within the mind and the motor skills to actually do it through the muscles. There was no connection. I, I was floored by that. And I realized that I had to press on their foot and have them press against what that, then it reconnected mm. that but you know what? That very essence of reconnecting to your body, because embodiment is about feeling it within yes, it your body, right? Yeah. And if you don't ever, haven't ever experienced it before, how do you know how to go there? Correct. Absolutely. It, it starts with believing it. One of the stories that uh, another teacher in our massage school would tell was about 
the Indian tribe that looked, the chief looked out over the water. There was something that he knew. There was something out there that he couldn't see. He'd never seen a ship before, so he didn't know to see it. Right. And, but he somehow could sense it. And so he, for five days, he continued to stare at the water, believing that something was there. And then on the fifth day, the ship appeared. Mm. And that's, that's when he saw it. So it's an interesting story. I don't, you know, obviously, I don't know if it's true or not. But the, but the meaning of the story is having faith that something is there and possible, even possible, is so important to the equation of manifesting and living your life from wherever you want to live. And to me, it seems like that when I hear it just now, it seems like, oh, that's just an actionable way to practice surrender in faith. Yes. (laughs) Right? Yes. So, yes, it's just another little snippet that added to this um, tapestry that I'm weaving about spirituality for myself. Yes. You know, it's just another little stitch in, in, the, in the fabric. And so... Let's move to the next lens okay. that you went through, that you were nudged to experience, that kind of opened you up more spiritually to greater understanding, to embodiment. Was there times in your marriage? Was there times... Um, post your marriage, what do you think was the next most powerful well, time for you? The next most powerful was with my husband. We had been together for um, probably six years at this point. We'd been married for two years, and we ran business a business together. And at this point in time. He had been a glass blower. I'd been. I became a, a glass bead lamp worker, and then we retired from doing that and became coffee roasters and chocolate makers. Fine. Chocolate <laughs> I love makers. you. I know. <laughs> so right? many, so many lives and jobs. It's so fun. Well, you know what? Let me just let me let me say this. When I went from corporate world to the massage world, there was that was a leap of faith for me to step out beyond something I knew for certain that paycheck Mm. that was regular my life was regular you know all those things that I depended on to keep my life orderly had to I had to let go of that in order to become a massage therapist with my own business and not knowing when there was going to be income (laughs) right that is a huge leap of faith and when I took that, I made a pact with myself. And again, this had to come from a nudge because I don't, I, I don't know how I would have thought to do this. But I remember distinctly saying, I'm willing to do this for a year. If I am still on my feet and supporting myself in a year's time, I will say I have made it. Amazing. So it was like you making the choice to be like, I co-create with this, this trust fall. Yep. Yep. And it was scary. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, I learned to live each day in the present. Mm. Not saying I wasn't worried about money down the road. I mean, there, there was always that. But it was like, okay, today I'm doing this. Today I do this. Today I do this. And now that I think about it, 
that was probably my first accepting of living by what shows up. Mm. So being led, basically, instead of micromanaging. <laughs> I not one of, as you know, that's <laughs> one of my favorite words, micromanaging. Yeah. And I, I, I liken this word, it, when I am micromanaging my own life, I think I'm better than God. Uh-huh. <laughs> or the universe. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I learned that, oh, I can't do that. Clearly the universe knows better than me. <laughs> but anyway, um, I got scared. I, I'll admit, I got scared in that first year. After about a month and a half of living that way, I went to a company that built massage tables and other equipment, and I asked them, do you have any part-time work? Do you need any experience in computers or software or whatever? And it just turned out they were trying to um, install a new accounting system on, the, on computers, mm. and they were just novices at it, and they weren't getting work. And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to work for you. And I went to work for them part-time because I was part-time at the massage school. And within one week, I knew I had caved. Really? On my, on my uh, bet with myself or, yeah. or challenge for myself. And I went in and I sat down with the owner, lovely man, and told him what had happened, mm. what, where I was. Where you were. And he said, I understand. Can you see yourself to at least finish the project of installing our system and getting us up and running? And uh, can you at least stay for that? And I said, yes, I can. So now I knew what I had done, and I had a way out, and I fulfilled that obligation, and I was off and running. Oh, you could redirect yourself. I did. And I was back in the challenge that I had set for myself. That's a huge lesson. It is, isn't that's a, it? That's a massive lesson, to actually. To own that I had caved, to have been a witness that yes. I had caved, yes, didn't mean it was the end of me. No. Or my dream. Yeah. It was just a little bump. A, 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 redir- a, bump. a redirect. Right. And right. You, so yeah. how many of us try to do something new? Only uh, resolutions, right? Yeah. And which is where we're at now, this beginning of 2024, we go down that road and we hit the bumps and we fall back into our own routines, but it doesn't have to last. No. And it's a choice, It's right? always a choice. It's always a choice. I want to choose me. And in this moment, I wanted you to sing your little song that you oh. sang your entire <laughs> life because Ginny has had this remarkable sense of play and I feel like it it just really lends itself to your resilience and to your ability and agility to be like you know what I can just choose differently I really do I think the sense of play it's like you're a keeper of sacred play I really feel that about you (laughs) (laughs) well I think it was back in the 70s when you know the I think the book can't you're okay I'm okay came out and and there was this um, sort of uh, putting out into the world like we lose our sense of play when we become adults because we have to do adulting with mm-hmm. the quotes. And, and I was rebellious. Of course, I was very rebellious. Because <laughs> I was my father's most rebellious child, I think. Um, 
And so it was like, well, no, here's here. Here's the very first. I was probably five or six years old. Uh-huh. And I know I had a lot of fun energy as a kid. Yeah. And I think it was very upsetting to my father, who didn't have such a good, fun life. Yeah. We butted heads a lot. And he was trying to convince me that life was not fun. <laughs> And I was going to have to do things I didn't want to do. And I'm arguing with him. No, life is supposed to be fun. Yes, that is my first Amazing. And you were six, five or six. Yes, but I was not able to hang on to that because of the control of my father. Yeah. And it's okay now because I know what I have learned through all of this. Yeah. And it's just been amazing. But... But back then, yes, so the shutting down of me happened in my childhood and the control and the angst and the, all the other worry and fear and unworthiness and all of that, you know, came to be a part of my life, which is just the stage that gets set for what I'm here to learn. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, I had to share that one. Yes. Yeah, so but the song, one. so in the 70s, I remember resisting letting go of my child. It was like the beginning of pulling it back to me. And I had the song from Peter Pan, and I don't know if I can sing it very well, but (laughs) the song was, I won't grow up, I don't want to go to school just to learn to read and write and recite a silly rule. Because if growing up means it should be beyond my dignity to climb a tree, I won't <laughs> grow up, never grow up, never grow up, not, not me. me. <laughs> so that was a theme song for me for a long time. For a long time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. In fact, you know, just speaking of today, it is one of my greatest gratitudes that I have reclaimed the inner energy and the joy of my five-year-old inner child. It shines through you <laughs> since I have met you. And I met Ginny, what, almost three. almost three years yeah. ago now? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, so we were talking about this other pivotal moment for you, and it was, I think this is the story about uh, your coffee business, right? Is that where you were? We were there, and you were saying, like, you were having this coffee business... Oh. Yeah, and the chocolate. And Ralph and I, in our first two years of our marriage, began to just really argue because he had a way of doing business and I had a way that I thought (laughs) business should be and we were button heads right and left. And when we would get into an argument and if there was any people around us, I began to see people back away from us. It was my first awareness that Ralph's and my energy had escalated to such a powerful place that it was felt by others that they had to back away. Mm. And I was like, whoa, what is that? You know? And and interestingly enough, a brother and a sister of mine handed me us a DVD, each handed us a DVD of Rhonda Burns' The Secret. And I'm really grateful that I was... given the DVDs as opposed to the book because Ralph and I began to watch this and it hit something in both of us. Mm. And I remember the scene um, where three people are literally jumping off the top of a mountain. I'm sure they had parachutes on, but 
they just jump it like that leap of faith. Yeah. It resonated with me so deep. I just immediately burst into tears. Oh. And um, and I knew that this was a very important uh, thing to watch. So we literally watched it over and over and over, and we would stop it here. Does this mean this? So many, so many questions about it, and then we would talk about it. It was great. So uh, I have a story to tell. Um, with our coffee business, we had a, an espresso cart that was about 10 feet long, well, seven feet long, where that was movable part. And uh, there was a, uh, a architectural engineering firm that had their world headquarters in downtown Toledo. And, uh, and we knew the guy that was the facil- building's facilitator. And, and they invent- asked us to come in once a month and do coffee hour on a Friday morning. And so here it is on a Thursday night. We're, we're getting everything over there and uh, set up the night before, and it's pouring rain. Mm. Now, who wants to unlook in pouring rain? And so uh, we get some stuff out of the room. We get inside the building and up to the end of the elevator. And we're standing at the door looking at our van, thinking about that big seven-foot cart that we got to roll out of the van. And we're like, it's pouring. And I, I said, let's do Law of Attraction. <laughs> Like it's something that you could just pick to do at any time. Right, you know? right. And Ralph says, okay. And I said, it's not going to rain for the next 30 minutes. And Ralph says, you can't say it like that. You got to say something like, it'll be clear for the next 30 minutes. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't say that. <laughs> so we stood there and we both saw it clear for 30 minutes. And as we were looking at our van, the rain stopped. Stop it. Truth. Wow. I lived this. Yes. And I said, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) And we get out there. We get the van. It's like two or three more trips from the van. We got everything loaded in the the elevator, the freight elevator. And we get up to the second floor and we're pulling the cart into place. And we hear a crack of thunder. And it starts raining. Ralph looks at his watch and he looks at me and goes, 30 minutes. We stood there dumbfounded. Wow. We looked at each other and went, did we do that? <laughs> did we do that? I mean, my mind was blown. Yeah. Well, that was the hook. Right. That hook uh, took Some us hook. <laughs> eight years of studying law of attraction before he had passed away. Wow. He passed away in 2014. He always said, I want, when I go, I want to go quick. And boy, did he. One minute he was there, and the next minute he wasn't. Wow. And so Law of Attraction was where I went to to learn about what does it mean when you, when you lose the physical body, when you cross over to the other side? What's going on? Where are they? Where, how does that affect me? You know. And so reaching out into my past world of health and wellness... I found um, Dr. Joe Dispenza and meditation through his version. And I began to meditate. And it was through meditation that I began to connect to this the, the space of energy. Because energy is everywhere, in everything. And some, sometimes energy is formed into something 
like trees and plants and tables and chairs and houses and I mean that's all energy and sometimes it's out there it's undefined it's it's sort of a a, a pregnant possibility mm. that energy is just out there and so that's how I was seeing energy after these years of study and so from that I began to really connect in a deeper way in my meditations so in that um time after Ralph had passed away and I'm really wanting to connect to him uh, not knowing how and kind of feeling jealous that there are those that can speak to spirits on the other side and why don't I have that skill and mm-hmm. and coming to realize that's not a good energy if you want to connect <laughs> to him you can't go down that road so um, I one of the things that Ralph and I did is we had a friend in this town that does a psychic fair twice a year, celebrate the senses, and we would um, serve coffee and pastries and that sort of thing to people who came. And now he's gone, and he's not with me, but I'm still doing it. So everybody's off in their sessions, their 15-minute sessions, and I'm sitting there waiting for the session to end to maybe get some business. And so I, I think, well, what's on the Internet? So I go over to my iPad, and lo and behold, my music program uh, was up on the iPad. I never opened it. Mm. So it wasn't like the last thing that I had played. But there it was. And when I opened up the music program, Ralph and my love song was right there, ready to be played. And I went, Ralph's trying to contact me. (laughs) I mean, that was my thought. Yeah. So I put my earbuds in, and I... Uh, start playing the song. Um, it happens to be Besame Mucho, Kiss Me Much. No. And uh, I start crying immediately. And then I remember, I can't connect to him if my energy is so low when he's pure positive you know, energy spirit, spirit yeah. up here. We'll never connect. We have to be in alignment. So I dug deep. I pulled up all the memories of love and laughter and fun and and I felt my energy just rise to happiness and mm. joy at being with him and then I feel my bo- my soul lift out of my body mm. I'd never had this experience before and there I was I could see this effervescence of Ralph in one color and me in another color it's like we were dancing on the ceiling mm. to the music of our love song I was breathless. I was just, I was like, it was a moment in time that just stood still. And then suddenly I found myself back in my body. The song was over and, and I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. And I realize, no wonder, I wasn't used to vibrating at that level. Mm-hmm. But it taught me that I couldn't make contact with Ralph. And he's been with me ever since. <laughs> Oh, Jenny, thank you for sharing that story. I know it's it's one that's so close to your heart and so vulnerable. And when you told it to me for the first time, I could feel your whole heart in it. And I felt it just again just now. <laughs> that's just incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're yeah. very welcome. Really appreciate it. And um, you shared with me a little bit ago kind of how you feel about spirit and what you believe about spirit through your experience. And I just wanted to kind of give you the space to to share that a little bit about you what you believe god or spirit to be 
one day when I was meditating, clearly from the other side, I'll say, but it was like an epiphany, how wonderful it was that God created so many ways to get to know him. And that led to the confirmation of that was just look around. Nature has such variety. There's not one kind of tree. There's a variety of trees. There's not one kind of flower. There's a variety of flowers. There's not one style of house that gets created. There's a variety of houses. There's a variety of human beings. Of course, there would be a variety of ways to get to know him. And it's just a matter of aligning whichever one serves you best. And at the heart of every single religion on this world is love. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it all comes down to love. It does. <laughs> yes, it it's does. so true. It's so true. It's so simple and profound at the it same is. time. It is. Yeah. Miracles. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here with me. You're just a gem of a human being. Ginny is now exploring her sound healing gift. And so um, how can we find you and your gifts, Ginny, if people want to connect with you after this? Oh, I'm working on a website, but it, and it's not ready. One day it will be, but it's called sacredsoundweaver.com. I guess the best way to reach me is through you. <laughs> Fabulous. So if you want to know about Ginny, her magical sound healing, which I myself have been um, blessed by, or if you want to learn more about Ginny and how I connected with Ginny was uh, through a group called Sacred Awakenings where she was teaching about intuition and law of attraction. And she is so clear and so accessible and so practical and meets you where you're at. So if you would like to know more about that from Ginny, please just send us a message here. You can find uh, my website, ashcreatorbeing.com. And you can send a message right there and I'll connect you with Ginny because she's a magical, wonderful unicorn of a human. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us here on our first episode of Spirit Actually. May the spirit of life guide you forever and always. See you next time.